Psalm 150. It's page 634, 634 in your pew Bibles. Psalm 150, and we'll read the whole psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flutes. Praise Him with the crash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the last five psalms in the Psalter in our morning services. Uh, I know it's, although I know how many days there are till Christmas, as I said earlier, it's been summer time, hasn't it really? Summer months, and I know that some of us try and escape Airdrie to find uh, sunnier climes during the summer, so you may have missed one or two or more weeks, but if you've been here for any of uh, our series in these last five psalms, you will know that they are often called the Hallelujah Psalms because they all begin and end with the same word or phrase, Hallelujah, or praise the Lord. Psalm 146 to 150 all begin and end with praise the Lord. We come today to the climax, not only of these five psalms, but to the great crescendo of the book of Psalms itself, of the Psalter itself, and we find the call to praise the Lord not just at the start and the end of the psalm, but at least once in every single verse of the psalm. Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens, praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with a harp and lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with the, cr- the clash of cymbals. Not the crash, the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then just in case you manage to miss it, praise the Lord. So a simple sermon this morning. Praise the Lord. Where, why, and how. That's my three points. Praise the Lord. Where, why, and how. No suspense, uh, no surprises, no cleverness, and no cliffhangers. Praise the Lord. Where, why, and how. Praise the Lord. Where. Well, it starts 
in the heavenlies, doesn't it? Verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. That's where it starts, that's where it began in eternity. Long before you and I, long before the history of humanity itself, there was praise in heaven. And one of the great things about Scripture, one of the great things about the Bible is that it allows us from time to time to peer into heaven itself. As you get older, you begin to lose a lot of things. You begin to lose your fitness and your flexibility. You start moving and everything uh, creaks or clicks. Hopefully it doesn't crack, but uh, you begin to lose something of your suppleness and your fitness. You begin to lose maybe some of your mental sharpness. It takes a bit longer for the cogs in there to turn. But one of the first things I think you lose as you get older, and one of the things that we don't perhaps fight hard enough to retain as we get older, is our imagination. And with their imagination, that sense of childlike wonder, it kind of slips away quite early on in adult life, and we don't fight hard enough to hold on to it. Their imagination, and with it, our sense of childlike wonder. Do you remember... I didn't intend to speak about Christmas as much as I have this morning, but do you remember that feeling that you had as a young child on Christmas Eve as you lay down in bed with eyes wide open? Do you remember that sense of wonder and of excitement as your mind just ran away with all of the possibilities that the morning would bring to you? When was the last time that you felt like that. I'm sure I've told you this story before. In fact, I think I've told you it relatively recently. And for you, it's not a good story because it won't make you feel the way it makes me feel. But I'm going to indulge myself anyway. When I was a, a, a young boy, there came a, an age where I was allowed to travel further from the house when I was out playing. So I used to be allowed to go to the primary school and I would go up there with a ball, and that was okay. I had a red ash pitch, so it was okay until you fell. Uh, but then I got a bit older, and my mum let me go to Ross Hall Park, which was a wee bit further away, but it was grass, and I was allowed to take my wee brother with me to go to Ross Hall Park to play football on the grass. And... My mum set a very clear boundary where I was allowed to go and where I wasn't allowed to go. I was allowed to go to the park, but I wasn't allowed to cross this wee bridge that was in the park. This wee um, bridge over the White Cart River. I wasn't allowed to cross it. And because of all the kind of plants and growth that there was there, you couldn't actually see what was on the other side of the bridge. So I used to go up to this bridge and I used to look over and I used to just wonder what it was that was so exciting that my mum wouldn't let me go and see it. And I would actually dream 
about crossing this bridge and all the wonderful adventures that would be lying in store for me on the other side of the bridge. The mystery, the wonder, the excitement. Where? Where is it going? Where is the wonder and the mystery and the excitement going? When was the last time that I felt like that? We ought to feel like that about heaven. What will it be like? We can't fully grasp it, but we can truly glimpse it, can't we? Through the pages of Scripture. We can glimpse at the reality of heaven through what God has revealed to us. And one thing we know from Scripture, above all else about heaven, is that it is a place of praise. It is a place of praise. If I had been naughty, you won't be surprised to hear that I wasn't naughty and I didn't cross that bridge. But had I stepped onto the streets of Pollock, the wonder would have soon dissipated. Because that's all that was there. As you climbed your way through the kind of growth on the other side of the river, you go up this wee path and it takes you to a very nondescript street in Pollock. The wonder would have soon dissipated. But when we cross that bridge on that day, the wonder and the awe will only ever increase for all eternity. Jonathan Edwards writes about that. He writes about how we cannot get our heads around the fact that our sense of wonder in heaven will grow forever, for all eternity. Heaven is a place of praise. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, or praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Nehemiah 9, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. There is praise in heaven. But the great concern of the Psalms in general, and the Hallelujah Psalms in particular, and we might say, especially Psalm 150, the great concern is that there be praise on earth too. We take our cue, as it were, from heaven. It's not just about praise there and then, it's about praise here and now. There should be a wee taste of heaven on earth in the church. So as people come from outside into our community, into our family of faith, they ought to be able to see and to sense something of heaven in the way that we praise, the way that we worship, in the way that we live with one another, in the way that we love one another, in the way that we speak to one another, they ought to be able to see and sense something of heaven. 
They might not know what it is. They might not be able to articulate it, but they ought to be able to see it and to sense it. There is something to pray for and to work at and to spend yourself on. There is a vision, isn't there, for a church? To give our community the opportunity to taste something of the reality of heaven itself. A community which bears the hallmark of heaven. Praise the Lord. Why? Point two. Firstly, for his acts of power. Verse two. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him for his acts of power. What has he done? Well, even in that verse I just read from Nehemiah, there are two things that he has done for all of us. He has created everything. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. We ought to praise him for creation. I said a moment ago, it's a tragedy that we lose our wonder as we get older. But even the worst of us at times, you know, we'll, we'll see the stars fill the sky when we get out of the, the town. Or we'll see, you know, the majesty of a mountain just reaching up into the clouds. Or we'll see a sunset or a rainbow. And even if it's just for a moment, we will think to ourselves, that is astonishing. Sometimes you see something like that, you think, can that really be true? You're looking at it, but it's just so majestic. It almost takes your breath away. Well, the God that lies behind that beauty is all the more majestic. Praise Him. What has He done? He has created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. What has he done? He has given us the gift of life. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Psalm 100, we often open our services with Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. Without God, there is nothing. And that thought alone ought to lead us to wonder and to worship. Without God, there is nothing. He is the author of life. The air that we breathe belongs to him. And we believe and we declare as Christians that our lives ultimately uh, are not the fruit uh, of our parents' decision or our ancestors or chance or fate or coincidence. We declare that we owe our lives ultimately to the Lord himself. And so we praise him for the creation of the universe, for the gift of life. And I'm sure you could add many, many more things onto that list. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for what he has done. Praise him, secondly, the second half of verse 2, for his surpassing greatness. So the first half of verse 2, praise him for what he has done. 
The second half of verse 2, praise Him for who He is. Praise Him for who He is. Let's take our cue again from heaven. Revelation 4, verse 8, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under His wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He is the God who is holy, threefold holy God. We live in a world where everything to some degree is tainted by the stain of sin. And then Scripture reveals to us the glory of God, the holiness of God, His perfections and His purity. He is worthy of our praise as the God who is holy. He is the God who is just and who will judge justly. We have an uneasy relationship with us in our society. We squirm at the thought of judgment. People have tattoos that say, uh, only God can judge me. But even they really mean no one can judge me, don't they? That's the society that we live in. That's the air that we breathe. My life is my life. I own it. I will live it in the way that I see fit, in the way that I think will bring me pleasure. And no one can judge me. But Scripture tells us that it is appointed to to man to die once and after that face judgment. Not a single sin will be swept under the carpet. Someone may abuse or bully or murder and escape justice for a lifetime, but not for all time. Every deed done in the darkness will be brought out into the light for all to see and to sin against another person is to sin against the God who is holy. Katie has these wee Bible reading notes that she's been working her way through, or we've been working our way through them at night with her. And uh, we had a lesson recently that was on sin. Uh, and it, it was trying to unpack for Katie or for whatever child read it that sin is really serious because it's not just about being naughty to another person. When we are naughty to another person, when we sin against another person, we're actually saying to God, I know better than you. And that's the seriousness of sin. That's why David, when he is confronted by Nathan, and then he writes that that psalm of repentance, he says, against you only, Lord, have I sinned. Well, he surely sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah. He, he had a man murdered. Surely he sinned against them. True. But David recognizes the really serious part of his sin is that he has sinned against God. He said in that moment, I know better than you. Seriousness of sin. But God will judge so we praise Him that He will judge justly. And we commend ourselves if we are treated unfairly. We commend ourselves to Him who judges justly.
And we remember that the God of justice is also the God of mercy. The God of light is also the God of love. He is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger. And he is rich in love. Where do we see this most clearly? We see it most clearly in Jesus Christ. That's the next time I get a chance to do a children's talk with the boys and girls, that's going to be it. We see a wee bit of God in the world he has made. We see much more of God in the scriptures he has so graciously given. But Jesus himself is the perfect revelation of God. And we see in Jesus the love and the grace and the mercy of God, don't we? He was without sin. He was holy. He was blameless. He was perfect. He was pure. He spoke the truth without fear or favor. He lovingly led his disciples on, even when they made mess after mess, even when they let him down in the darkest hour of his deepest need. He remained faithful to them. He reached out to heal the incurable, to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovable. He endured the agonies of the Garden of Gethsemane and the shame and the pain of the cross for us, for our sin. So that whoever we are, wherever we've been, whatever we've done, we can be forgiven fully and freely. We can be washed clean. We can be made new. We can be born again. We can be welcomed in to the family of God forever. Not because of our goodness, but because of Jesus and all that he has achieved, all that he has accomplished for us in our place. Therefore, says Paul, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise him. Praise him. Praise the Lord. Where, why, thirdly and finally, how? Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with a harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with whatever he has given you. Whatever you have from the Lord, use it to praise him. A tambourine, a dance, a violin, a flute, a cymbal, play it to the praise of his glory and his grace. What has he given you? Maybe you, like me, can't play any musical instrument. But what has he given you? He's given you a lot. Use what he has given you. Use the resources he has given you. Use the talents he has given you to praise him, to honor him, to bring glory to his name, to express your appreciation, your approval, uh, your admiration to God. There is a sense of joy in these verses, isn't there? We have an orchestra of praise. Again, that's what the church should be, an orchestra of praise. Not just as we sing, but as we live our lives together. An orchestra of praise. There's a sense of joy in these verses. If we find someone or something praiseworthy, 
there is joy in praising that person or that thing. C.S. Lewis says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. There is joy in praising that which is praiseworthy. When you go to the football and you see your team score a goal, a great goal, you're not, you don't sit there and say, well, that was a really good goal. I suppose I'm going to have to stand up out my seat and applaud and give them, express my appreciation for what they've just done. That's not what it's like at all. Without even thinking about it, you leap up and you shout out with tens of thousands of other people or tens of other people if you support Neardry, <laughs> or ten other people if you support Albion Rovers. You, you leap up and uh, you shout out. And in that expression of joy and appreciation and praise, the, the joy is actually made complete in that moment. It completes the, enjoy, the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation according to C.S. Lewis. Or you see your wee girl at sports day win the race. I know you're thinking that I'm talking about Katie here, but it's potted sports in Katie's school. But I, it used to be that there would be competitive races, real competitive races. You see your wee girl running and she crosses the line first. And you're bursting, you're brimming with pride. And she gets on medal. And she runs to you. What do you do as she gets to you? Instinctively, you pick her up, you hold her close, and you praise her. You tell her how proud you are of her, how well she has done, and how happy you are to be her dad or her mum. And in that moment, that moment of praise, there is joy. Again, it's the consummation of the praiseworthiness. We praise him because he is worthy. He is worthy because of what he has done. He is worthy because of who he is. He is worthy because of his powerful deeds. He is worthy because of his surpassing greatness, to use the terminology of the psalm. But we also praise him because in praising him there is joy. In praising him there is joy. In the healthy Christian life, duty and delight always go hand in hand together. Man's chief end could quote that in every sermon, really. It always seems relevant to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Those two things very much go hand in hand together. And so as we close, just a, a last look at the last verse of the last psalm. Let everything that has breath 
praise the Lord. I want to make mention of the fact that we ought to see that as a call to mission, as a call to evangelism. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything, everyone who has been given the gift of life ought to praise the Lord. He is worthy. If you're not praising Him today, you are robbing Him of the honor that is due to His name. We are breathing His air. We are enjoying His gifts. And so we must praise Him for what He has done for us, and we must praise Him for who He is. He is great and glorious. He is holy. He is love. It ought to be seen by us as a tragedy that people wake up on a Sunday morning and have no thought in their minds that maybe they should offer some thanks or some praise to God. It should grieve us. It is a call to mission. And so we ought to pray for Kieran and Ashley in the United Arab Emirates as they serve the cause of Christ, as they take the gospel into that land. To many who will not have um, heard about the true, uh, the true good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to pray for Fiona, the Baptist Missionary Society. You say, well, Ross, what about my town and these streets or my house, my neighborhood? Shouldn't we pray for them? Shouldn't we pray for me as I witness to them? Well, yes, we should. This place and these streets are our mission field. If we love God and if we love our fellow man, we will have a passion to see others come to praise the Lord too, because God is worthy, because of what He's done and who He is, and because, though they do not recognize it, their joy is to be found in praising Him. Only Jesus offers true and lasting and complete joy. So let's come before Him together as we pray.